Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 90. From everlasting to everlasting, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to the dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on us, your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, good morning, church. Let me just fix this mic here. Um, it is a pleasure to be with you all this morning. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Travis Young. Um, I am an elder at Village South. Um, it is a real joy to be back here in East. Uh, my wife and I have a lot of memories here. We have been members of Village 8, maybe 7, 8, whatever. My math isn't great. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we, we were with Village when we moved here and kind of like... You know, we painted these walls, kind of, kind of thing. Um, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of Sunday mornings we spent coming to this place, a lot of relationships we made in this building. Um, and so it's always a joy to be back in the building, um, even for the nostalgia of it. But uh, yeah, I'm really, really, really glad to be with you this morning. Um, my whole family's here too. I would introduce them, but only my wife is here, and all the, we dumped all the rest of them in the back. Um, so thank you for your kids' ministry. Um, it is a blessing to us this morning. Uh, but yeah, so we, uh, we're in the Psalms, right? Um, I think it's already, uh, Steve did a great job introducing the series and kind of, or maybe reintroducing it to us. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going through a selection of the Psalms over the summer and looking at how uh, they, the way I would put it, is how they connect our, our human experience to our faith. And, and it's done 
most often through like an emotional response. Like the psalmist is usually saying, this is what's going on in my life, or these are the things I'm reflecting on or thinking on, and this is how they interact with the truth of who God is and God's promises and God's past faithfulness. And, and usually there's a, there's a thread there of an emotional connection. And so if, if it, some people are really big fans of the Psalms because you can just kind of find one that really kind of connects with where you're at at any point, like any day or any season of life. Um, some people maybe avoid it. Um, I'm usually a little more academic, and so the Psalms are like poetry, and I'm like, I like read it, and it kind of like washes over me, and, and I'm like, I want to get back into something theological like Romans. Um, but, but at the same time, at least in my own heart, I, I love the Psalms because at least the lesson I've learned in my own life is it's, it's taught me to bring my genuine self before God. Um, it, it, allow, it, it allows me, or has allowed me in the past, to, to come to God angry at Him and to just be honest about that. Like, I'm unhappy with what's happening, and I think it's your fault. And God can take that, and then that, those Psalms are beautiful because they take this human response to a life circumstance, and then they say, here's who God is, here's the truth of His character, here's His past faithfulness, and, and it helps us deal with that and helps us continue to live as faithful followers of Jesus in light of all that. And so that's what we're looking at um, in this series. We are in Psalm 90 this morning, as we just read. Um, Psalm 90 is uh, called a psalm of lament. It, um, if you don't know what the word lament means, it's basically an emotional response of grief or sorrow to a situation. And so there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations, which is that. It's just an author being like, everything is just terrible, God. What is going on? And it's just this expression of sorrow and grief over the circumstance um, that he's experiencing. And, and that's what we get here in Moses' psalm, is Moses lamenting some realities in our lives. Um, before we get into it, I kind of want to set our mindset a little bit to kind of get our brains thinking along a certain track. Um, and I want to start with a question. Have you, is there, a, like a, is there a place in your life, like a place you can go to, or maybe a season of your life, where sort of your perspective was reset? And by that, I mean like, 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 a, like truth or reality sort of entered into what you live in the day-to-day, and you're like, oh, this is what really is happening. Like for me, one place that's like this for me is whenever I go to the Cliffs of Moher, even when we take our family when they visit or whatever, and every time I'm standing, I don't go to the Cliffs Edge because no matter how tall I am, I'm still afraid of heights, but uh, at a safe distance, I still kind of like take a look, and I'm like, man, it is incredible how high up I am over the ocean. And I've been there on some sunny days, and it's just beautiful. I marvel at God's creation and how amazing this place is. And I've been there on days that are a bit more stormy, a little more windy, and you can see these huge walls of water coming and crashing into, into the, this huge wall of stone, and, and that's been happening for years. And there's just so much power in it, and, and I just feel so small. Like, I feel so insignificant. Um, I feel like, were I to, like if I was down there, I would be at the mercy of the waves. It doesn't make sense. Like, I, I, feel, I feel powerless, and I'm reminded that, like, there's a lot of insignificance to who I am, and I put a lot of thought into what I can control and, what I, and who I am, and it, it's, in reality, like, it's not true. Um, another thing, because you kind of, by way of another example, I don't know if you saw these photos being passed around. I, 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 hopefully they'll be up here. Um, but there's the James Webb 
telescope, space telescope, that's, that's now finally sent back images, and it's kind of replacing the Hubble telescope. And on my, on my uh, social media feeds, a lot of my friends and people I'm connected with were posting these photos. Um, and they were writing stuff like, man, it's amazing how like, insignificant we are in our place in the universe. And it was this perspective reset for a lot of them. And so th this is one. This is called the Southern Ring Nebula. Um, it's something, I think it said it's 2,000 light years away, which if you travel at the speed of light for 2,000 years, you'd end up here. Um, obviously, none of us would live that long. We'll never get there. But it's, it looks like something out of a Marvel movie. Like it's, It looks like some computer designer just like imagined it and put it together, but like God made that, right? And this is like, I think this one is a dying star, and so all those rings of orange around there, you can't really see it very well here, but that's just matter from the star just kind of being thrown out into space as it dies. Um, the next one is a series of photos. So this is the night sky. If you had a clarity of vision, you'd be able to see this little area, a cluster of light down here. And that image is, turns into this image. Boop. And then that image, only if you can see on the upper right, turns into that image. So we're zooming in slowly, and then there's this image, this red square, and this is, if you can zoom in, switch to the next one here, is the uh, Carina Nebula. And so this is a forming star. So all of this matter and mass apparently is coming together to form a star. Um, but look at that. Like, God made that, right? Um, and then this final one, I think, it's not the most beautiful of the pictures, but it's the most fascinating. Um, this was called the Deep Field Photo, and it was something like, some millions or billions of light years away. I don't know how they know this or how they could possibly get an image that far away to show up, but they did apparently or whatever. But what they said is if you took a grain of sand and held it at an arm's length in the night sky, the part of the sky that that would cover is this. Like that single grain of sand covers all of these galaxies in the night sky. And so I have friends who are like, processing this information, this introduction of, a new, of new information into their lives and being like, wow, me worrying about my next Netflix show doesn't matter that much, right? Like, these things that, I con that consume my life in light of sort of this, my place in the universe are very insignificant. And those who were, were Christians are like, oh my goodness, like marveling at God. And those who weren't were kind of having a bit of like an existential crisis of like, what do I do with this information in my life? And that's what Moses does here in Psalm 90. He's, present, he's reminding the people, the nation of Israel, of, of truths, of realities of their life and existence. And that sobering reality, he then connects with, with who God is. And so I want to take, there's kind of a, a few main points here um, to go through. I want to I start in the very beginning where he says um, in the first few verses here, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He kind of is, is painting a very brief picture of just the magnificence, and specifically the eternality of God. God's constance. Like before all of those things ever existed, God was. And when, they're all, when they all go away, when every star in the universe is dead, God will still be. And so... He's, he's highlighting that, and then, and then in the very next sentence says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. That word man there can also be Adam. He's kind of highlighting our, like, the, our sinful nature, like our edemic nature as human beings. Um, in verse 4 he says, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and it withers. The first thing that Moses is highlighting here for 
the people of Israel, this is a, a community lament, is that our lives are very short, which might be something we're all pretty aware of, but I don't think we live in light of that reality every day. Your life is very brief. And I was thinking about this. He talks about being like, our lives are 70, or by reason of strength, 80 years. I turned 35 in January, and I'm like, ugh, that means I'm halfway done. Um, hopefully, I got longer than that. Um, thank you, modern medicine, please. But, uh, but you, you think about these things. Like, I'm at a point in my life where I could, I, I could consider that I might not have more life in front of me than I do behind me. And what do I do with that, and that reality? Especially when I think about how much time and attention and worry and control I try to put over that 70 years in light of God's eternality and forever existence. He's trying, what Moses is doing is he's reminding us that, that our lives are, are brief. And I know, I'm going to pause real quick here. I think we come to the Psalms, I just want you to, this, this mood is going to exist a little while in this sermon. Sorry. Um, I think we think about the Psalms a little bit, and they're just like, oh, God is wonderful and great, and, and every Psalm is going to one day turn into a worship song that we get to sing praises to God with. Um, and really, when we talk about laments, a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. A third of the Psalms are expression of sorrow, grief, and frustration, and whatever else over, over really, ultimately, sin and the brokenness of the world and our own selves. And so, there's a lot of heaviness. There's not a lot of like, how majestic is our God type of things happening here. There's a lot of like, wow, heavy truths to be considering this morning. Um, I think they make the magnificence of God better at the end, so just stay with me here. Um, but there's my caveat that I probably should have put on the front. There you go. Um, but yeah, our lives are short. The second thing he says is that even though our lives are brief, that brief existence we have, we live under the anger and wrath of God. So not only is the sobriety of the idea that our lives are short presented to us, he then says, and even that is a toil and a trouble. Look at what he says here, starting in verse 7. We are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. We have set, you have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. That is a very uncomfortable verse. And then goes on to say, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is, their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? That word span there in verse 10, the span of their life is toil and trouble, can also be translated to pride which I was like, that's weird. But the more I looked into it, it's even, what it's basically saying is like, even the best of your life is toil and trouble. Like, even the best of it. And so, like, he gives us a hard truth to start with and then just makes it heavier, <laughs> like, afterwards with this reality of, like, this existence we have it is affected by sin and sinfulness. This, this psalm, to give a little more context here, I think it helps us understand why Moses is saying these things. This psalm is, is written, or thought to be written, right as Israel is about to enter into the promised land the second time. So if you're familiar with the Exodus and sort of that season of Israel's history, they, for a long time, 
had been, for generations, had been slaves in Egypt. And then um, the plagues happen, like God calls Moses with a burning bush, and then Moses is coming to say, like, let my people go with Pharaoh, and there's this period of Pharaoh saying, like, plague is hitting Egypt, and Pharaoh saying, you can go, and then Pharaoh saying, no, you can't go, and and that happens for a season, and then there's the Passover, right? There's this night where all the firstborn in Egypt are, are dead unless, like, uh, you, like, have slaughtered a lamb, sacrificed a lamb, and put the blood over your doorpost, and the angel of death passed over those houses. So the nation of Israel was spared that judgment. And then they leave, and then there's the Red Sea, and then the sea is parted, and God makes a way for them to cross. And then they are in the wilderness, and then there's Sinai. There's this moment where God gives them the law, and then they finally get to the promised land, this land of milk and honey, this land they've journeyed for, and as they're about to enter, the people of Israel, instead of putting their faith in God and trusting in this promise, they're like, I don't think we can do that. I don't know that God's going to be faithful now. And, and there's the, the people that have spied out the land, there's a bit of a debate going on. There's Joshua and Caleb who feel like, no, no, it is exactly, they, their perspective is, it is exactly what God said it was. It's exactly like he said, it is a land flowing of milk and honey, let's go take it. And everyone else is like, it's, we can't defeat these people. Like their, their mindset was on what we can accomplish as human beings, and they're like, we can't make it happen. And God um, basically sends them back into the wilderness for 40 years, and that whole generation of people, except for Joshua and Caleb, die off and aren't able to ever see the promised land. And so when Moses is talking about this idea that we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. We pass our days away under your wrath. He's talking about the last 40 years, this time that a whole people, his nation, including himself, Moses himself didn't get into the promised land, are, are not able to experience the promised goodness of God because of their sinfulness. And he recognizes and is reminding the nation as they're about to re-enter Remember the consequence of your sin. Remember that what, what, what happens, that, like, that, there, that there is consequence for your sin. And I know that I'm, that I'm talking to um, a, a theologically Protestant church in, in a Western culture, and in our heads what we're thinking is, oh, I know, yeah, but, but, but Jesus, right? Like, what do we do with this verse on this side of the cross? How do I wrestle? Like, surely we're, we aren't under the anger and wrath of God anymore as believers in Jesus, and, and, and surely like this verse like, like applied to them, but doesn't apply to us. Yes and no. Um, and, and by that I mean, yes, in Christ, because of his crucifixion on the cross, because of his resurrection from the dead, the judgment that we have for our sin, we have no more. But the consequence of our sinfulness remains. Let me give you an example. Um, we, well, okay, let me go back a little bit in my head. I'm jumping myself here. There's two ways that sin affects us, okay, that we experience the consequence of sin in our lives. The first one is internally. It's in our own lives, in our own hearts. We experience consequence as individuals and as a people group for our sin and sinfulness. And we see this um, with Israel, right, in the story we just told. Like, the consequence of their lack of faith and their disobedience was that they didn't enter the promised land. They were still God's people. God was still with them. He was still faithful to them. He still provided for them, but this prom- the consequence of their sinfulness was that they weren't able to enter the promised land. The consequence remained. 
Sin also affects us externally. And by that I mean, even if and as we live righteously here on this earth, because we live in a sinful and broken world, we, our life is still a toil and a struggle. And we see that in the example of Joshua and Caleb, who though they were faithful and were righteous and believed and trusted the promise of God and did everything they could in their own power to encourage, like, no, let's do it, like, like, let's go into the promised land, even so, they still suffered the same consequence with the rest of their people. Like, they didn't, like, get a five-star hotel for those 40 years while the nation of Israel had to go wander around in the desert, and then they all came back together and entered in. Like, they still had to go back into the desert with their people as a consequence for their people's sin, even as they tried to, like, walk righteously. And so, when we think about our own selves and apply this reality to our own lives, in your own head, there might be things about, like, like what sins you have in your own life, the secret sins that are revealed in the light of God's presence that, that you're thinking of right now. And while God has forgiven you for those sins, and I want to say that very clearly, like if you're in Christ, like your standing before God is not in doubt. You will spend eternity with Him in heaven. You've been forgiven. They've been removed from you as far as east is from the west, but we still suffer the consequences of them. I think of the example of like, like the idea of like pornography and even if you're past, even if like that was a season of your life, you, 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 you looked at that, that was a part of it, and you've like even repented of that sin fully, the consequence of that is that, like you've still trained your brain to objectify. You still trained your brain to think that your relationships should look a lot like that, that people, that, that everything should be, that every person should be about you, and you don't have to give anything to them. Um, and really the consequence of and this is a hard thing to wrestle with, but even your, the consequence of you, there's a part, that means that there's a part of your life where you have participated and propagated the sex slave industry in the world by participating in that. Like those consequences remain, though we've been forgiven. And even culturally, the sins that we have, like, ugh, like, uh, like materialism and greed, like we live in the West. Like, like think about, like as much as we like to think, well, I'm not as materialistic as that person is, like, we, we together still are, we together are still part of a cultural sin. We think, I think about Isaiah when he is in the presence of God and says, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And I think a lot of times we have a tendency to try to individualize ourselves a lot and think, well, I'm responsible for me and what I've done and, and my, my, like, the fact that I'm a part of this larger whole doesn't matter. Um, this is a community lament. The language that Moses is using here is we and us and our, and, and, and his, I mean, his participation, he, he's, he is lumping himself in with the sins of his people. And so, we, so the life we live is brief, and the life we live is under the anger and wrath of God because of those things. Feeling good? No? Yeah? Um, man, I was like, really regretted when I got to this part of sermon prep and being like, man, I should have picked something different. But, uh, but it's true, and we need a perspective reset. But here's the beauty. Moses ends this whole thing with a question. In verse 11, he says, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? I'll pose the question to us here this morning. When was the last time you considered the power of God's anger and his wrath according to the fear of him?
When was the last time you thought about how God ought to treat you because of your sin? I believe that we in the church in the West, I know I'm guilty of it, so maybe I'm just projecting my own self on all of you, but I think it's true. You can debate me afterwards. That we are really, really, really good about talking about the mercy and grace of God, the love God has for us, how much he, he loves us. And we are criminally negligent of an awareness of our own sinfulness. And what happens with that is we cheapen the grace of God and the, and the work of Christ because of that. And so this lament, that, this lament, this grief, this sorrow that Moses is doing here isn't for the purpose of you all ought to feel really bad about yourselves because you're terrible people. Instead, he's saying, let's remember that we're terrible people and God loves us anyway. And even though we've done everything we've done, even though we've grumbled in the wilderness, even though God's provided manna for us and we grumbled about that, even though we got to the very doorstep of the promised land and we're like, ah, I don't want to do that anymore. Even though we've done all that to him, here we are again about to reenter. So let's not forget that. And instead, let's consider it as we experience the promises of God. Verse 12, he says, this, is, this, is, this whole psalm is called a prayer of Moses. And in some ways, as I was prepping it, I thought, oh, the prayer is really just verse 12 to 17. But the whole thing's a prayer. 12 to 17 is just where Moses starts asking God for stuff. So let's look at what Moses starts asking for. The first thing Moses asked for in verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. His prayer is, God, let's not forget. Let's not forget this. Help us to remember these realities as we go enter and experience your goodness. Because a lot of times we experience the goodness of God and forget about the cross. And we forget about what it cost Jesus for us to be a part of the family of God. We forget what it cost Jesus for us to experience God's love and faithfulness. He goes on to say in verse 13, return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants? Before I go any further, I mentioned the first thing that our life is brief. The second thing Moses is saying that's true is that our life is under the wrath of God. This third point is that, and I've kind of gotten ahead of myself a little bit, but the third point is that we live, we, while we live under the wrath and anger of God, we also live under the grace of God. And that's what Moses is getting at here. Help us to remember our days. Verse 13, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. I want to camp out here for a little bit. There is a really interesting dynamic that happens in this psalm in Moses' engagement with the presence of God. Look back at verse 1 where he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. That is a really nice idea, right? Like, I read that, and I'm like, yes, that's pleasant. And actually, the more I think about it, you think about the nation of Israel, they haven't had a dwelling place for generations. They were in Egypt as slaves. That's not their home. They were wandering in the wilderness. That's not their home. They got to the promised land and said, I don't want that to be my home. They went back to the wilderness. That wasn't their home. And the entire time during that season, God was with them. He was with them in Egypt. He was with them crossing the Red Sea. He was with them in the wilderness. He was with them at the doorstep. He was with them in the wilderness again. And now he's with them here. And they've experienced the presence of God, both in seeing God work and move, and 
in seeing God physically present with them, right? Like God led them through in the Exodus as a pillar of fire and a pillar of cl- in the nighttime and a pillar of cloud in the day. And even in that thinking, like in that picture, there's something really cool about that because they're wandering in the desert, right? And so when you're in the desert, what's the one thing you want? You want cool, you want shade. Because the sun's hot and the desert is unpleasant. And this pillar of cloud is that. It is a comfort to them as they travel. And in the nighttime, the desert gets very cold, and a pillar of fire gives light and warmth to his people, right? Like even in how God manifested himself to his people was a blessing to them. God has been their dwelling place for generations. But then the next time he talks about the presence of God, in verse um, 8, he says, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. This thought is less pleasant, because here we're saying, the, in the presence of God, all of our sin is made known and laid bare. I don't like that idea. I don't know how you feel, but that, I like the first one, the second one not so much. And then here again in verse 13, he's saying, return, O Lord, how long have pity in your servants. He's inviting God, please come back. Please let us be back in your presence. How long are we going to be separate from you? And he follows that with a prayer to have pity on your servants. And there's something, here's the idea of how we live under the grace of God, right? We talked about it a little bit. Is that in the presence of God, our sin's known, and that's also where we find forgiveness. Like, we, we can't come to the presence of God and just experience the good stuff without also having our sin exposed and crucified. Right? Like, it's like saying that, like, we want to experience the resurrection of Jesus without the crucifixion of Jesus. Like, you can't do that. You can't separate the two. And so, while there is an incredible discomfort to the idea of ourselves being truly known and laid bare before God, all of our se- I even love how it says secret sins. Even the stuff you want to keep hidden is, is brought in the light of God's presence. But it's also where we experience God's grace and steadfast love and forgiveness. Have pity on us. God, have pity on us. That's what confession is. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's a time in your life where you've prayed that prayer, where you've said, God, I'm, I'm a sinful person. Have pity on me. Please forgive me. And even in the daily practice, the Christian practice of confession, day to day, I mean, every day we sin, in the daily moment-by-moment confession of like, God, I've sinned, I messed up again, I did this again, have pity on me. He always does. He always does. He then goes on to say in verse 14, "Satisfy satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. The prayer here is that we need God's presence and we need God for our own joy and gladness. Right? The lament, the grief, the sorrow on the front end, like Moses says, that's from God because of our sin, but he also recognizes and is now asking God for good. And there's a reality here. I think all, these, all of these ideas about the brevity of our life and about the consequence of our sinfulness and about the grace of God communicate one larger truth, I think, to me as I read this passage. And it's that every good that we have in our lives is from God. It's 
not from us, it's not from our work, it's not from something we've accomplished. Every good we have is from God. Everything and every good that we have is from God through Christ. The coolest thing about, to me, this psalm, and especially the things that Moses is asking for here, for God to teach us the number of days, for, um, for, for mercy, for pity, um, to be satisfied, to be made glad, and then finally at the end for, for God to make his work known to our servants and his glorious power to their children, and that the favor of God would be on them as they go do this thing, as they, and he, he says, establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. As we go to like live out and do the calling you've called us to do, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. And so when we read this psalm on this side of the cross, we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. He is the presence of God with us. I know it's July, so to say the word Emmanuel feels very Christmassy, and I love Christmas. The reason I love Christmas is my favorite one. I hate, my wife hates, hates how much I love Christmas. I, as soon as it gets cold, which is Belfast, it's almost every day, um, I'm tempted to put Christmas music on, especially when it gets colder, right? Once that first, like, crisp of autumn comes, I'm like, it's, it's time. Um, the reason why, and it's, there's a nostalgia to it, but the reason why, the reason why it's my favorite part, specifically of the religious calendar, is it's the moment that God came to be with us, like, physically with us. He's always been with us, but like, but here with us, like Emmanuel with us, God with us. Jesus is the presence of God with us. And now, post-ascension, like, we have the Holy Spirit in us. Like, God's presence with you is internal. It's crazy. And I wonder how much we desire the presence of God. When we think about that the presence of God is our dwelling place, nice thought, that it's also the place our sins revealed, not as nice, but also the place we find forgiveness and joy, and we experience the steadfast love of God. Like, how much do you desire the presence of God in your life? For me, when I was writing this, this is just confession time. When I was writing the sermon for this, I really struggled, ironically, with connecting with it emotionally, which I find that I often do. I try to go there first. Like, what does this passage mean to me? How am I internalizing it? How am I connecting with it? And I just, it, it, I just, I don't know what the disconnect was. And I found that I, as I kept doing this, I found myself really longing for the presence of God. In the, like, I just felt disconnected with God because it wasn't, like, hitting me like that. And, and, and I, man, I, I want to want God more in my own life. And I think we all do. Jesus is the presence of God. Jesus is also... Um, the forgiveness of God in our lives. Jesus is the power, the glorious power that he's been shown to his servants. Jesus is all these things for us. He is the fulfillment of the prayer that Moses is praying. And so, my prayer for us, like, what, is this, what does all this mean for us moving forward? Um, what's the application? How do I apply this to my life? Um, I think it matters. It's a good question. Well, for one, I think we, we need our perspective to change the first thing that Moses asked for for us to number our days, like, we need to do that. And so, I, I mean, it's not, like, like I said, it's not the funnest thing to do in the world, but, like, there is wisdom, it says here, in reflecting and considering the brevity of our lives, the, the impact that sin has on our lives, 
the consequence of it. And the fact that any good that we have in our lives is from God. And the reason why I think, A, that we need to do this is because we need to realize and depend on, this is what Moses' prayer, this is why it's Moses' prayer for Israel. We need to realize and depend on that even as we enter into a season of promise, going into the promised land. If life is really good, that good is from God. And I can ruin that good by my sinfulness. It's easy to trust God in times of toil and trouble and struggle and trial. Um, that's, what, that's what Moses is lamenting. That's why he's crying out to God on the front end of this. But looking forward across the Jordan, he wants to remember it so that he doesn't, lo- like he doesn't lose that connection to God and that dependence on God. I think the same is true for us. So yeah, I mean, my, th- this psalm, I think there's a lot to meditate on here. I think there's a lot of beauty in seeing Jesus in it. My prayer for us this morning is that we would reflect on these things, that like Moses prayed, that, that we, would, we would learn to number our days, that we would gain a heart of wisdom, that in all things we would come to, to God seeking and, and faithfully finding mercy and grace, and that if we're in a season of promise, of, of joy, of happiness, of, of just a good, like it's a good, things are good now, one of those seasons, that we would remember that that good we have is from God. And if we're in a season that's not great, where we are experiencing the consequence of sin in our lives, whether just because the world's broken or because of our own sinfulness or whatever, that, that Moses' prayer here for, for pity, for God's presence to come back, that, that, that God would start satisfying us in the morning, that he would start making us glad, that that would be the prayer of our hearts. And in all of that, my hope is that we can see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that for us. Um, we have here in front of us, the communion elements. Um, communion is a picture of the death of Jesus on the cross for our sins. Um, I, I mentioned Passover briefly. Like, on the night Jesus was betrayed, it was Passover. It was the night that the nation of Israel remembered how God had spared them this judgment of death in Egypt. And on that night, Jesus takes this picture of God passing over sin and judgment, this, this picture of mercy, and, and, and puts himself at the center of it. And, and on that night, he took bread and he broke it and he passed it around and he told his disciples, this is my body broken for you. And he took a cup of wine and drank it and passed it around and said, this is my blood shed for you. For the forgiveness of sins, do these things. Every time you do them, do them in remembrance of me. Remember me when you eat this meal. And so we at Village do this every week. We, we eat this meal to remember the work of Jesus on the cross. Because nothing about following Jesus or being a Christian or anything matters aside from that. 
and every good we experience in our lives as believers, as followers of Jesus, is because of it. Because of this, the wrath of God and the anger of God, we don't ever have to feel an experience, ever. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we're going to take this meal now, and as we do, my prayer is that we remember this. That we would reflect on the brevity of our lives, that we would reflect on our sinfulness, and that we would marvel at how great a work it is that Christ did on the cross because of those things. Um, I don't know if you guys play music during this time. If you do, Gareth, you're more than welcome to back up. I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we're going to uh, take communion together. Father God, thank you so much for Psalm 90. God, thank you for a psalm of lament and of grief. God, may we grieve our sinfulness. May we grieve the brevity of our lives. May we grieve our existence in this broken world. And in the midst of that grief, may we cry out to you for, for wisdom, for you to have pity on us, for you to make us glad. God, in the midst of lament and of sorrow, you can make our hearts glad. Thank you for Jesus, God, who has taken away the wrath and anger of God from us. Who has, we, we are no longer condemned, um, but we are viewed as righteous. So God, as we take these elements, may we reflect on these things, remind our hearts of who you are um, and of who we are. May our perspectives shift and may we appreciate you and the gospel and live in light of those things faithfully. And in your name we pray, amen.